This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Here we go. Jake and Josh are here to analyze the game they love for the team they love. This is another Dolphins Podcast. Here's your host, Jake Mendel and Josh Houts. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of another Dolphins podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Joshua Houts is away today, but I have a very good friend. One of my first interactions on Dolphins Twitter. That is Dustin Godin at Dustin Godin 13 on Twitter. Dustin, I just said your name three times. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, Jake. Nice to uh, catch up with you and, and looking forward to some good conversation here. We used to have a group chat about... God, it's going to be about 10 years ago at this point. Um, yeah. And I think what made it so special was that everybody kind of spoke football their own way. And something that that you did that I loved and I tried to follow it, but I'm not nearly as smart, is uh, you founded FinDepth.com, which was fantastic. It was these 5,000-word stories that were really detailed down to, like, the wire in terms of just the, the analytics. The, the thought process used was so incredible. That's why I thought it would be good for you to come on here today, and then we could talk a little bit about pro football focus and what they think of the Dolphins. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. Awesome, awesome. So let's jump right into it. Let, let's start with the offensive side of the football, right, because everybody loves to talk about points. How about Tua Tungavailoa? Could you believe after one week he's already tied in the MVP odds? Yeah, I mean, we went from talking about, you know, he hasn't played since December. Is he going to have a little bit of rust and all that kind of stuff to talking about, like, top PFF graded quarterback, top uh, passer rating quarterback, just insane numbers, right? Like, crazy. That's when you include that, I mean, he probably got the blame for two turnovers inside the five-yard line. He just wanted to make his job a little harder, I guess it was, if he's going to do something like that. Exactly. 11, 11 of 15 for 250 yards, 215 yards, excuse me, two touchdowns. Dustin, what did you see from Tyreek Hill? Because right now, man, that receiver's on pace for 3,000 yards. Yeah, like 215 yards in, in a game. And I, I know he's done it before, and I know we can't like realistically expect that every game. But 
I mean, the dude looks un unguardable, especially with the magicianship that uh, McDaniel's doing with the getting him in, in motion from the same side of the field type stuff like that. And then, and then having him on like a little in route off of that wheel route, like it, it's unguardable stuff like that. Cornerbacks don't have a, sh a shot against that kind of stuff. I think it was the first play of the game. The the Dolphins first play of the game. It was an out route to um, Tyree Kill, and I believe they set it up where I think it was Cleo Mack on him in coverage, and he was kind of arguing with someone. Uh, hey, hey, somebody come take this guy. Somebody come take this guy. We all know how awesome Tyree Kill is. One thing that I thought was very interesting about this game is. We're used to seeing Tyree Kill pulling one side of the field and Jalen Waddle pulling the other. Uh, Waddle had four receptions of his five targets. He was gashing the defenses like always. But what did you see out of the way the Dolphins kind of pushed and pulled uh, both Waddle and Tyreek? It kind of seemed like they even were at their best when the other one was kind of taking a breather on the sideline at times. Yeah, def definitely noticed that a bit too. Like I, I, Waddle, you know, his numbers weren't like bad for the day either. Something like 70 something yards on the day. And um, I think a, a portion of those happened on that one uh, in-breaking route that he took a good, what, 20 yards and yak off of that route. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think really a lot of it was Tua probably what went to Tyreek and was like, look, and, and I think Tyreek actually kind of hinted at this in his presser a little bit that, like, Tua was like, you're the guy right now. I'm coming to you. And especially in that that fourth quarter stuff, I think. Yeah, and absolutely, it's so hard too because uh, first team All Pro, and then you have a connection with someone like Waddle. You kind of expect to go back and forth, uh, but we also saw Tua be somewhat of the blackjack dealer that we saw in college, where you can kind of just throw the ball all over the field. One interview that sticks out to me, I, I don't know the full details, but Tyree Kill during the preseason, they did like a uh, wide receiver draft, I think it was. Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill were the captains, and they had like a competition throughout training camp. The one player Tyree Kill drafted first and he could not stop talking about was River Craycraft. And he mentioned all the little things you might not see in the stat sheet, but what did you see from him? Because all of a sudden last year was Trent Sherfield and Mike Gesicki combining for 100 targets. But River Craycraft on the field, he, he's someone you don't need to put the ball in his hands for him to be out there pushing bodies around. Exactly. I think you're exactly right there. I mean, if you watch the tape from the game, I mean, anytime we were running the ball, he was out there doing his job and, and doing it well. Um, uh, can't necessarily say the same for all of the wide receivers. I, I think there were some others that just didn't have his level of success on in this game. But, um, I mean... There's something too to say, hey, to first wide receiver touchdown and you know on the team for the whole season. That's uh, kind of fun stuff for him. Yeah, and, and two something. This is probably the craziest stat of it all. Um, River Crowcraft, forty percent of the time he was on the field, he was blocking. Durham Smythe, thirty-seven percent of the time when he was on the field, he was blocking. What does that tell you? Does that tell you about the approach that McDaniel's taking here? It, it is insane, and and and. For myself, I, I had some conversations with people in the offseason, you know, after losing Kaseki and all these things and and kind of like thinking about Smythe as a player. And, you know, I was kind of questioning, you know, is Smythe really this thing, this this pure blocking tight end that we have this opinion of him over the years? And and to me, especially in preseason, is is really I really started to formulate it, but I was watching him run like double move routes and some of them like this guy can actually 
be a bit more than we're, we thought he could be. And his blocking is actually a little bit less quality than I think he's been given over the years. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like this interesting dynamic of like what his role is and what his role has been perceived to be. It's, it's fun. This is going to sound a little harsh, but I think it's about the best comparison I can think of. It's the, it's the hot chick takes the picture with her ugly friends to look even hotter. <laughs> Durham Smythe's blocking next to Mike Gusecki just looks out of this world. That's that's what it was. But, man, I completely agree with you. You go back and you look at his PFF grades from last year, Smythe wasn't known as, like, a successful blocker. He was kind of, I guess the best way to put it is, like, if he was a ma- on Madden, he'd be, like, a 70 overall because he's just consistently average at everything. And, and that's perfectly okay, I think, especially for a tight end in this offense. Yeah, and and I think a little bit of that also is um like he's definitely not going to be your like most athletic tight end receiving option out there. Um, but I think standing next to Gasecki's athleticism, his kind of was underrated a slight bit. Um, and I think we'll see a bit more of that this year. If you had to guess, what would a uh, Durham Smythe's highest pass blocking grade be from last season? If you had to pick a grade, what do you think his highest would be? Seventy-four, seventy-nine, 74 and he was in the 70s it looks like five games as a run blocker he had one game in the wild card round he was actually an 88.5 but overall yeah man he for for blocking that's really not Smythe's calling card which now that if we really wanted to talk about it what is Smythe's calling card other than the fact right you you can put him somewhere and know the job's going to be done it might be a little sloppy but it will be done yeah, I, I don't think he has like a. He's he's kind of more like a like a mid tier jack of all trades. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. With that too, this this tight end position is just it's just so unique to me. Um, do you see any scenario where we could end this year and you could say, "Wow, I didn't know Durham Smythe was that good"? Because I, I kind of still think we see that ceiling. Uh, but after you know the the route running, after kind of focusing on how much he's out there catching the ball. Could we be a little surprised by the end of the year? I think that by the end of the year, we'll probably be a little surprised at how close his reception numbers and yards numbers came comes close to Gasecki's numbers from last year. I think the biggest difference with the two, Gasecki, the volleyball um, background, it, he really shines in the back of the end zone. So I think if there's mm-hmm. going to be one stat that that's probably be the stat that surprised me. I don't think I'd be surprised if he matched, you know, Gasicki's 50 targets, but if he can get those five touchdowns, that that will have my eyes pop it out of my head a little bit. Yeah, right now I'm not super confident. And and I think they tested it a little bit in, in the game on Sunday, but uh in his like 50-50 jump ball type stuff, I don't think that's gonna be his game um yeah. as much as it was Gasecki's. Uh but I think he had opportunities to score touchdowns in that game uh, to a th- chose to throw it to River, but, uh, you know, we'll see. That's right. Yeah, the ball actually soared right over Smythe's head. And credit to everybody in every sport because I'd be so bad at knowing if there are people behind me. I'd be trying to put a hand yeah. up to, like, knock that down instantly. And I'd just ruin the entire play, just knowing it'd be <laughs> a perfect pass behind me. <laughs> We failed, Dustin. We failed big time because we buried the lead. Despite Tua being awesome, despite Tyree Kill being, what do you say, he's a lion now. <laughs> yes. This offensive line didn't give up a single sack. Wow. Yep. It's, it, it, I, I will admit that I was one of the people that, when seeing Armstead was out, was like, 
going against Khalil Mack, going against Joey Bosa with Lamb and Jackson. And I've been a, I've been a Jackson detractor my whole or since we drafted him. I, I never like I thought he was. I, I had him at 109, I think, on my board when we drafted him, and I was like, so I was pretty upset about it and um, all that. So essentially, I see a significant amount of growth from Austin Jackson. Um, I do think there is still significant more growth, but the fact of where he was last year to where he is now and the speed at which he's attained growth, it, particularly one thing he's doing a lot less is um, he, he has always had this tendency to do one of two things. He would either just catch guys or he would overextend and he would, he would lean over and, and um, get, uh, way out over his anchor and just lose leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it would frustrate me in prior years because he'd be doing that stuff. And, and he's like going into, you know, preseason talking about the number one thing he worked on is his punch. And I'm like, that's not your problem, dude. <laughs> so, um, but he, Butch Berry seems like he has really helped, especially the overextension. He, I didn't really catch too many times where he was leaning too much in the game. Um, I do know on, you know, he played a lot of his snaps against Bosa in this game with help with, uh, from Hunt. Um, and I mean, it's Joey Bosa, you're going to need help. And, um, but there were a number of one-on-ones that he did lose in my opinion. Um, but there were also a number of one-on-ones that he won. And I think last year or the year before he would have lost all of them. So (laughs) Dude, you are not wrong. Um, Kendall Lamb, Austin Jackson combined for a total of nine pressures. Joey Bosa had a grade of 44. Uh, at NFL, at Cat NFL, Brian Cat NFL, excuse me. Um, he'll be on the pod later this week. He tweeted out that Joey Bosa had a 44 grade, the third lowest of his 87 game career. Uh, Khalil Mack wasn't much better. And I think, you know, we really bonded over the pain of how bad the offensive line was about 10 years ago. The Dallas Thomases, the Billy Turners of the world. <laughs> Tyson Clavos. And- Tyson. Hey, he was the highest graded guy in Madden. I mean, why, why wasn't he great? <laughs> the, the difference here, and, you know, I, I think something like PFF helps a lot like this is because there's two ways to say someone isn't good. Someone isn't good if they give up three sacks in a game. Hmm. Somebody also isn't good if they give up nine pressures in a game. But the person who gives up nine pressures and not a single sack, that is such a huge, huge difference where I don't think the Dolphins could ever find that. They couldn't find those guys who could get it done and maybe be a little ugly. Maybe there'd be some pressures. Instead, it'd be the guys who, you know, maybe they'd be sound for 80% of the game, but then they just kind of self-destruct. What I'm seeing out of this offensive line is a unit where it's not clean. You know, they, we can joke, you know, that they clamped the Joey Bosa and Cleo Mack, but they still had opportunities. It was a little messy, but hey, there are going to be games like that where you're going to lose fights and it's going to have to be a little sloppy. And I think that's what I like most about this performance in the trenches is they knew they might have been outmatched, especially with Teron Armstead not being out there, but that's no excuse. Yeah, here's one counter I have to that. If we still had Tannehill in the pocket, I think they get two or three sacks. If we had Tannehill and a lineman had nine pressures, there'd probably be about seven sacks. That dude had no like like I remember thirty five percent pressure to sack ratio with him. <laughs> My God, man! I remember uh, the first like snap of Josh Rosen in the preseason. I just saw him move in the pocket, and I was like, "That that's what a quarterback's supposed to do." Tannehill never had that. He just always looked so uncomfortable the second he had to move. And 
man, that's what makes Tua such a treat is just his ability yeah. to just be so smooth back there, walk around the guys. That, he, he has eyes all over his head, not just on the back. Yeah, that was the thing I always, like, talked about with Tannehill's. Like, everybody – and it's a semantics thing, right? Like, everybody would be like, oh, the pocket presence with Tannehill. And I'm just like, his pocket presence was fine. His pocket awareness was terrible because, like – you have to separate them because the one thing Tannehill did do is he would stand tall in that pocket and deliver a strike, you know, while he's getting hit, you know, mm-hmm. at times, but he would never ever feel pressure, which contributed to standing tall in the pocket. Cause he didn't feel it in the first place, but to a, and, and Rosen, he had pretty decent uh, awareness, but no presence. Exactly. And then Tua has kind of like the ma- a mash of both. It's just the the footwork just it was was so impressive to me, and I think that's like the biggest thing, right? Because we thought those offensive linemen were so bad with Tannehill, uh, but then you have Billy Turner finishing out like an eight nine year career after surviving through that. So I do think there is something to the idea of Tua's ability to not just stand tall, because when you're standing tall, it's also pretty quickly to escape people. And Brian Tannehill, believe it or not, was a wide receiver in college, but watching him run around with the football, I mean, it was it was it was Bambi out there slipping on the ice. It was yeah, never the, really the yeah. <laughs> Let's sure. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's switch things over to the defensive side of the football. Do you have someone in mind that you'd like to start with here? Because I got someone if you don't. Um, I have general thoughts around, like, Wilkins, and I have general thoughts around, like, Jerome Baker. Um, Javon Holland is going to be an absolute star in this defense. Just He was everywhere. 80 snaps he played. 36 yeah. pass rush. What? That'd be, what, 44 against the run? 86 yeah. overall grade. 10 tackles, just one miss. What an absolute monster this guy is. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this because Jalen Ramsey, when he was signed, right, his big thing was, I'm not a cornerback, I'm a defensive back. And the idea was he can line up inside. He has that little bit of physicality. He can play like that heavy safety, line up in the slot. Javon Holland in college also lined up in the slot. So I'd like to get your thoughts on, I'm not trying to compare the two, but do you see Javon Holland kind of being that even, I don't want to say joker, but that flexible piece that the Vic Fangio defense really needs might not be for the entire season, but I think they might be leaning on that at least for a few first few weeks. So for a couple of years, I've honestly seen Javon Holland as like, if you go back to his rookie year, that first six games defensively, we were terrible mm-hmm. and it, things really started to shift when Flores was like, all right, I'm going to put you up there single high and just let you roam. Um, and 
credit to Holland for being able to take on so many responsibilities and letting the cornerbacks kind of be on their own island there and 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 um not ne- and, and be able to just freelance because sometimes he would have to come up sometimes he would have to stay back in the single high i think this year had ramsey not got hurt i think we would have seen ramsey a lot in the slot um and i think mm-hmm. we probably would have seen him do some snaps at like a pseudo free safety position as well mm-hmm. um and so you know except for you know i think there are when we go nickel he might go perimeter or something like that right right that makes sense it's just it's just there's there's so much uh so many moving parts with the Vegio defense. I also appreciated that they didn't have to blitz much, but when they did, you knew it was coming and it was impactful. It's one thing to to blitz every play and, you know, you get a sack once every three plays. That might be good enough to get them out there with a third and seven and then force a punt. But a lot of the times when you're blitzing that much, it, it's creating lanes. It's creating opportunities. I think Vangio defense didn't really do that. It really forced Justin Herbert to slowly be patient and, and walk down the field. Yeah, I know a lot of people are kind of complaining right now about the lack of blitzing. I kind of think it's a bit of a knee jerk because of how much we blitzed in in the previous seasons and how much we relied on it. And just kind of, you know, you get used to seeing that. And then all of a sudden it's like it's gone. So you notice it so much. Um, And and I I think we should have expected it because, you know, all offseason, anytime Fangio was asked about it, he's like, "I, I only blitz when I want to, not when I have to. So I think we should have seen it coming. Um, And at the end of the day, at the end of the game, when it mattered, you know, he did it and it helped us win the game. So um, to me, even, even looking at the the passing stats as a whole for the chargers though, I'm not like wholly like fearful of our defense's ability to stop the pass. Like I thought we did did a decent job at keeping, um, the Chargers passing attack under wraps. It was the running game that we really need to talk about. But Oh, yeah. One more note about the secondary. I want to give Cater Kohu some flowers because this is like the uh, greatest like call an ambulance, but not for me stats because he gave up seven receptions on seven targets. That sounds awful. A total of 37 yards. That's an average of five yards of completion. That is incredible uh, just efficiency. And, and that's where this defense is really going to, I guess, stand out is efficiency. Yeah, I, I heard things like, oh, they were they were targeting Kohu. They weren't scared of him. They also weren't challenging him that much either, as you're talking about here with the five per you know reception kind of deal. You were hoping a receiver would make a play, and that's kind of what the the or Chargers were hoping a lot of the time was just, hey, let's get the ball in a playmaker's hand. And Austin Eckler made a quite a few plays, uh, <laughs> maybe a few more yeah. than we would have liked. Oh yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the linebacking core, especially? I mean. The Vic Vangio defense is going to be a little worse against the run. Brandon Staley, his defense was inspired by it. They were the worst run defense in the league. I don't think they're going to give up 250 rushing yards each game. I think there's some things that are fixable, but was there something that kind of did make you a little queasy there? Yeah, I mean, I think we've had a problem in the run game. And in my opinion, the biggest problem over two or three years now has been in our middle linebacking the way we play. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not fixed. In fact, it seems a little bit worse right now and going off of one game. Um, and I was really excited about, uh, long junior, um, mm-hmm. coming in because watching his tape in, uh, Tennessee, the dude shot gaps 
all over the place on on film and i was like yeah this is like he's instinctive he picks his gaps like that's been my biggest issue with a guy like baker and uh and even when um van ginkle plays inside like they seem relatively hesitant in their gap priorities um Mm -hmm. and long in his tape in tennessee looked very decisive and i was like yes we've been needing this presence and he looked pretty bad i would say in this game um so i was pretty disappointed there um i was also like pretty disappointed in wilkins as well um at least for three quarters uh Mm -hmm. he he was washed out a lot of plays um and even even like when he did like turn it on like he got a really nice run stop there um for like a loss of three or four yards and 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 that was a great thing to see because that's what we know from him but outside of that i really didn't see much from him to say that he's worth more than we've offered um like i know we offered 22 million per year on average and he wants 24 but i'm like all right so you get a nice stop and then all of the other times your name was on you know uh, across my screen was because you were doing like cleanup duty when three other guys had a guy wrapped up like i'm that 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 doesn't impress me that much like good on you for having the motor and keep going but i, I just i needed to see a little bit more effectiveness and not getting and him not getting washed out for three quarters do you think there's a path for him to kind of present himself in a way where he's worth more money, especially in a scheme where he won't have all this one-on-one coverage each and every down where he can last play the game. I mean, you talk about knowing when to blitz, they did it perfectly. They had five guys on the line all in single coverage. And I think the dolphins beat three out of five of them. However, it's not always going to be that simple. Christian Wilkins is going to face a lot of double teams kind of like the linebackers. Do you think he not set up to fail, but do you think his numbers might just struggle just a little bit, just based on the system? Well, it's kind of, that's kind of like I've never been one of these people that like you can't pay him money because of his lack of of pass rushing, um, because of what you're talking about, because of where he plays, and you know, playing in the one the one technique, the two technique. You're, it's just the the amount of double teams you're gonna see in the one or two technique is way higher than at the seven technique. It just it's the nature of the beast. So I, I like people talking, oh, he's not Aaron Donald, or oh, he's not uh, uh, Quinnen Williams from the Jets, or, uh, you know. <sighs> While all of that is true, I don't think it makes him a worthless pass rusher. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Even so, if it's not a sack, just get in yeah. faces, right? Yeah, and I, I definitely I definitely think he can um, get it. I mean, Sealer on a per play basis is a better pass rusher than him, you know, for us. So he can do it, but you have to ask how much of that is because Sealer doesn't see as much attention versus, you know, Wilkins, you know, you'd have to track that pretty heavily to figure that out for sure. The beauty of football, having those 11 guys out there is you never know just for sure. Looking at this pass rush group, you got Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips. Bradley Chubb actually had an outstanding coverage grade in this game, which threw me a little <laughs> off. Before I get your general thoughts, do you think this group, let's say uh, right now, will feel better about Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb than we did, let's say, 10 years ago about Cameron Wake and Olivier Vernon right before he left to the Browns and got – or was it Browns first or Giants? Either way, right, right before first. he left to get the big, the big contract there. Yeah. 
Um, man, that's tough because anytime you compare people to Wake, it's just like you're going after heartstrings there. <laughs> exactly. That's why I had to do it. <laughs> um, yes, I do think Phillips has the potential to get to like a you know a Jason Taylor Cameron Wake status with us. Um, mm-hmm. He had a, I would say, while on paper we didn't have like the greatest pass rush in the world against Sunday. We also didn't have a bad one in my opinion. And I think Jason or or Jalen Phillips was the shining spot in there. Bradley Chubb was not. (laughs) Um, He, this is like the first, like I've been a proponent of Bradley Chubb's contract um, generally since we've made it. This game is kind of the first game. I'm like, maybe the other side is right. (laughs) <laughs> mm. Jalen Phillips, I think I saw he actually had the second most pressures on the week with, with seven. Oh, so he was consistently getting there. And that's kind of what the Chargers did last year, right? They'd let the, the edge rusher come at you, and then you just kind of throw it over their head type thing. And that way you're also taking up all their energy too as, as time goes on. Man, Brent, the Brantley Chubb thing is so hard because I, I think I might have swung too deep into the, like, like I'll say even the Homer side of it, just because I think he got a lot of unfair um, criticism last year. Oh yeah, but, me too. But I do think he's so due for like a, a statement drive or like a statement game because I think that's the, the all we need for him to be the difference maker, right? Nobody is gonna write home like we have this guy who's really solid. Nobody cares if someone's really solid. He needs to do that one thing that we can write home and say three sack performance, and then we'll be happy about it. But genuine, excuse me, generally speaking, do you feel like uh, w- would you take back that contract right now, knowing everything you know? Right now, no, I wouldn't. Um... Because again, I, like you said, after the end of last year, I went back and I looked at his production and I looked at his pressure percentages and I looked at, you know, his win win rates and all of this stuff. And then I rewatched some of his, his snaps and I'm like, okay, the guy still has talent. The guy still has ability. We just need like one thing that wasn't talked about as much with Chubb last year is the fact that quarterbacks were able to throw with against us faster than any other team, pretty much. Um, So it made pressure from our point of view, much harder to achieve. And so what I need to see, I need to see the amount of time that quarterbacks need to dissect our, our backfield increase so that we can for sure know what we're dealing with uh, on the line as far as pass rushers, because to me, I, well, I, I, you'd have to check me on this, but if I remember correctly, the quarterback's average like time in pocket last year or time to throw last year was like 2.5 seconds or something like that. You're just not going to be a premier pass rushing team when quarterbacks are able to take one step and drop on and throw on you and get seven yards every time because your quarterbacks are all playing off man. But Exactly. Exactly. I completely agree with you there. Uh, I'd like to ask you, let's just say Jalen Phillips leads the team in sacks. Who, who's number two come the end of the year in sacks? Um, I would I would have to say Chubb. All right. All right. I was wondering if you'd throw out the Wilkins or a sealer just to be a little flashy, but I get that. I, I mean, it makes, he's a great player, right? He's, he's a former pro bowler. He's known for getting double digit sacks. It's just seeing it happen again. And he's back in the system that, you know, he was in that where he made his name. I think that's, I, I think, <laughs> I think this was one of his worst games for us 
you know, but he was also going against Rashawn Slater a lot, who exactly. I think is very good. So, mm-hmm. um, well, you know, we'll have to see how that progresses, but if he continues to look like he looked against, uh, LA, then I'd be willing to say we made a mistake, you know, but I don't think we're going to get there. Then we'll have the hard, uh, hard talks. Dustin, this has been a blast, man. And did, did we get hit all your notes? Is there anything else you want to chat about before uh, we wrap up here? Um, yeah, I guess I, I, I just have some, some simple notes, you know, talking about, uh, some of the Tua stuff, you know, talking about differences from last year to this year and how, um, we can use PFF to kind of analyze those differences. Um, talking about how like RPOs in play action play into Tua's strengths. What impressed me the most was really kind of the lack of it in this game against LA. Um, Like on average last year, we were doing a play action or an an RPO on 43% of our dropbacks. Well, in this game, we only did it 28%. We only threw two screens. We 48% of our attempts were over 10 yards and 17% of our attempts were over 20. Like, to put that into perspective, 17% would have led the league mm-hmm. last year. Like, that is a very high um, percentage of deep attempts. And, and two was, was like 14% or something like that, which was like 12th in the league last year. And, and, and not only did he throw deep with that amount of frequency, he did it completing 62% of them. <laughs> like... It was insane. And uh, do you think yeah. that's more of a Chargers defense thing or a Miami Dolphins offense thing for the uh, adjustment in the amount they were using RPOs? That's a good question. Um, I think I kind of think it's a shift in the mentality of McDaniel a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think. I think he's trying to get a little bit away from the RPOs. He wants to actually do a bit more of the R part. Yes. And, and he, he wants to let the, the passing kind of be its own kind of life. But you can't remove it because of how good Tua is at it. Um, so I think I think we're going to see a trend there. Um, let me think. To do anything else. Let's, I'm just reading over my notes here. No, you're good, man. Uh, Let's end the, I love to do this. I love to put people on the spot just because we know we'll be wrong. So let's end the podcast being wrong. Um, Can I get a final score prediction for uh, Sunday night? Against the Patriots at Patriots final score. Well, let's see their offense looks like it could be a little bit more flashy than we thought. Like I, I expected after last year it to be terrible um, interesting notes there is that, you know, while Mac did throw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, none of them went to Parker or Gusecki. Interesting. Um, awesome. I'm not petty. Of <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so I'm going to say 27 Dolphins, 24 Patriots. I'll take that. I'll take that, man. I'm looking for, I would, I'd take that final score, especially the thing is the Patriots are always different, right? If they started week one with the Patriots, it's, it, you always feel different. Um, especially last year, 
you know, everyone was like, early in the season, the Dolphins offense was awesome. They beat the Patriots 20 to 17 in that week when everything's always a little different with you face a divisional rival, you put one of the greatest coaches of all time on top of that, it's going to be a little bit weirder. So I think it's going to be closer than people think. Uh, yeah, Dustin, at Dustin Godin 13 thank you so much, man. This has been an absolute best. Thank you so much for joining us on another Dolphins podcast. Thanks, Jake. Uh, it's been great being here, and uh, thank you for inviting me.